through February 28th, get a choice of offers from Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, like up to 24 months no payments and no interest, or up to $1,125 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. The headline on this story should be, went down on vacation, came back on probation. Now, what do we always say? Wagner's rule of life number four is that nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 a.m. in the morning. And you you wish more and more athletes would would get that kind of message. But yet there's always stories about this problem or that problem. Here's the latest, just sort of bizarre story. Alvin Kamara, who is an all-pro running back for the New Orleans Saints. Really, really talented guy. He goes to the Pro Bowl, which... You know, it's the Pro Bowl is just one of these like thrown together things, but used to be in Hawaii. Now it's in Las Vegas. So you have a bunch of these players that that go to Las Vegas, and and at least when it was in Hawaii, there would be an incentive for players to go because you got a free trip to Hawaii. Now that it's to Las Vegas, it, it's got less glamour, and so a lot of people that get selected for the Pro Bowl end up passing on it. They're oh, I my I, my foot is injured, my arm is injured, whatever. I want to pass on it, but it, it's still. It's an honor to be selected. I don't know that anybody necessarily cares about the game. Last night I was with a dear friend of mine who is an avid football watcher. If football is on, he's watching it. And they were over at our house, and I said, you want me to put the Pro Bowl on? He said, I don't care about the Pro Bowl, which was you know, really something to say. But anyhow, so Alvin Kamara, he's in Las Vegas um, for the, the Pro Bowl weekend. Matter of fact, he participated in the game yesterday. I think caught a couple passes. Well, before that, he had uh, had some interesting things because after the game, they waited till after the game, Alvin Kamara was arrested and taken to the Clark County Detention Center, which is the jail. Allegedly, um, he got involved apparently in a bar fight on the strip outside some nightclub. They haven't named what the nightclub is, but the night before, and this is apparently how you prepare for the Pro Bowl, you, you go out and you get in a fight with somebody. Now, I don't know all the circumstances behind it, but he has been charged with battery resulting in substantial bodily harm which means if it was a fight, he won and did significant damage to whoever he was involved in the fight with. As a matter of fact, he put the guy in the hospital. So what happens is, you know, the they call the police, give all the information. He's allowed to play in the game, but after the game, he ends up getting arrested and, you know, booked. He subsequently bailed out, I think, $5,000 bail or something. He's making his initial appearance later on this afternoon in Las Vegas Circuit Court. But, again, the headline is, went there on vacation, coming back on probation. And I know nothing about the fight other than, if you were wondering whether the Pro Bowl was a significant athletic endeavor, this isn't like the guys are locked up in their hotel rooms. Boy, what could possibly go wrong? Let's bring a bunch of athletes, let's take them to Las Vegas and then just kind of send them out uncontrolled on the streets. What could possibly go wrong with that? 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, what, what can you say? No, no, people are saying the Pro Bowl's only been in Vegas for a couple of years because of Hawaii's COVID rules. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's all well and good. But again, Vegas is a lot less of an attraction than, than Hawaii would be. So a lot of people bail on it. But regardless, it's like, okay, you've got the Las Vegas Strip. You've got a bunch of these young athletes who probably have some control issues. And let's just send them out on the street and see what happens. Speaking of athletics. Don't want to be a downer starting off on today's program, but for those of you who might not be paying attention, the Winter Olympics started a couple days ago. Now, this is a very, very strange Winter Olympics. First of all, it, it's in it's in China, um, and this is the the second Olympics that you've had in China, and they're not too in in the last like year. It's in China, so you've got issues with time zones because of the repressive regime of China, you have a number, for example, American diplomats aren't there. Because of COVID, you've got no personalities that are there. By that, I mean like NBC's coverage. Everybody's in Greenwich, Connecticut. Um, there's not people live in, you know, doing the figure skating or things like that. They're all doing it off of TV monitors, which creates a different sort of environment. In addition to all that, again, because of COVID, the athletic venues, there's almost nobody in them. So where you'd normally have, I don't know, 10,000, 15,000 people watching the figure skating, you've got a few hundred. So it's kind of got this weird feeling, you know, because the competitors play off the crowds, but it's kind of got a, a weird feeling, almost like a practice thing. So you've got all that stuff that, that's going on. The U.S., at least so far, has dramatically underperformed, whether and, and for whatever reasons, whether it's you know, COVID concerns or just whatever, they're, they're not winning medals. Plus, typically in Olympics, there's going to be winter or summer, there's going to be a couple breakout performances by Olympians that really attract everybody's attention. Everybody wants to pay attention on Thursday night when so-and-so is competing. At least thus far, and there's a lot of time left, but at least that far, this far, that has not happened. So the way this is being described, matter of fact, I'm looking at variety today. Um, NBC Sports says, now this is across all platforms. So this is across like NBC and Peacock, their streaming channel and all this. 16 million viewers tuned in to watch the opening ceremony. That's a new low for NBC since they began broadcasting the Olympics in 1988. Now, 16 million people for the opening ceremony, that, that's a big number, but that's down 43% compared to those who watched the Olympic ceremony in 2018 and is significant. So our number is 855-616-1620. That's the, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So... What's going on here? I mean, why is it that people aren't watching the the Olympics now? And again, sixteen million people for opening day for the opening ceremony—that that's a big number compared to to most stuff. I, I get it, but compared to previous Olympics, this this one isn't drawing. Now, I, as I said, I think there's a lot of different reasons for this, including the fact that I, I just I don't think there's breakout Olympic stars. Plus, you overlay the, the whole thing of COVID. You look at the fact that these are essentially being done in for, with, with very few people in attendance. It's just a completely different vibe. But 
I think interest in the Olympics, at least in this Winter Olympics, I think you're going to see it as measured by television ratings at an all-time low. So, you invested in the Olympics? If not, why not? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Kohler Services. Give them a call at 262-357-3300 or visit KohlerServicesWI.com to see what they have to offer. From inspiration to installation, reimagine your bathing experience and contact Kohler Services today for a free design consultation. Now, there's a lot of stuff going on with, with the Olympics, but at least early on, the ratings are underwhelming. I mean, I was going to use the word disaster, but we'll just say underwhelming. And I think, in my opinion, there's a lot of factors that are going on. 855-616-1620. What, what's happening? Are you interested in the Olympics? And even if you are, why do you think they are underperforming? Now, part of the problem, too, is keep in mind, normally you have the Olympics every, you know, every two years. Because of COVID, you had the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. That that was six months ago. So you've got Olympics that are back-to-back are -back in many respects. Is there Olympic fatigue? I also think, in fairness, a factor is, is China, which is, well, two factors with China. First of all, it, it's a repressive to total. To, totalitarian regime if you watched even the highlights of that opening ceremony it was just just a propaganda tribute it was very difficult I, I found to, to watch that and secondly it's like 12 or 13 time zones away which always creates problems I mean there's very very little chance that you're going to be able to watch lots of live stuff unless you're going to be up in the middle of the night let's start with Mike in Illinois Mike you're on WTMJ Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Uh, well, I've been a fan of the Olympics since uh, I saw Franz Klammer go downhill in 1976, and he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I was a kid, but I remember it. I remember watching opening day, or, uh, opening ceremonies in Lake Placid uh, with my mom, uh, Eric Hyden. Can't forget him. Um, I'm a big fan, but I think, at least for me, I watched opening ceremonies, and yeah, especially the... Uh, the military parade was a little disturbing, but um, I enjoy it no matter what. I think, for me at least, some of the events early on, like I'm not a fan of figure skating, um, either pairs or single, but, you know, right. speed skating, bobsled, downhill skiing, those are the events I want to watch. But I'll check out the other things, but just kind of see who won maybe, but I won't watch them long term. So it seems like at the beginning of the Olympics, it's usually those events like figure skating and pairs and stuff like that. Do you think the numbers are going to get better Hello? as the Olymp Do you think the numbers are going to get better as the Olympics wear on? I think they will. Um, I really do. Um, but you know, obviously, there's a lot going on. I mean, you know, opening ceremonies and Putin there, and I mean, there's a lot going on um, politically. So, but it's Got not it. going to stop me. You know, I think the United States made a mistake. Carter made the mistake when he uh, didn't let us go to Russia. You know, the athletes yeah. suffered. And um, yep. I don't think that we should do that. Okay, thanks for calling, Mike. I appreciate it. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, it does feel like the Olympics were just on, and I'm a bit fatigued in that respect. I also think the very limited fans make watching events feel very weird. That, that you know, that that is... 
it's really the case. It, and it's and look, I, I understand we live in a pandemic world, so that's one of the things. But I, I think if you talk to athletes, regardless of what the athletic endeavor is, whether it was basket, college basketball players last year essentially playing to, to empty stands or, you know, soccer players that were playing to empty stands or, or football players with the limited attendance all, all during that. They'll all tell you it was weird. The NBA teams that were playing like in the bubble, remember, two years ago just to kind of finish out the season, it just it felt weird in, in part because I think the athletes – the athletes feed on on the crowd, and it was interesting. Mike was talking about figure skating. Now that's kind of heresy because figure skating traditionally is the the big enchilada for for the Olympics. Um, part of the issue, though, is I mean, this year you you have you know the United at least from the United States, and I think this is I think it's fair to say that you you don't at least at this point in time have have breakout stars, and some of the people that. You know, you, you thought we're going to, you know, perform whether it's because of COVID or because of just slipping and falling or whatever. They're they're just not developing. I mean, remember how much hype there was about the Olympics years and years ago when you had the Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding thing. At that point in time, everybody was tuned into the Olympics. There's there's not any of those people that are out there, Jeff. Part of the reason why I'm not interested is the location. The past three have been in Asia, two of them in communist nations. I have a problem with this. Then, like you say there's the time issue would like to see a western hemisphere country in real time with high attendance jeff um, it's difficult to find certain events also nbc is making you pay for peacock to watch a lot of the events yeah a lot of the peacock stuff is behind um behind uh, paywalls and things jeff lack of marketing of personalities is compounded by the mask wearing often outdoors, that conceals any hint of excitement and happiness usually seen on the competitors' faces. Um, yeah, you, you have that. Jeff, for me, zero interest, no fans in the stand. I'm also angry with China over the release of COVID and their repressive human rights abuse regime. was interesting watching some of the coverage of the pregame, uh, of the of the uh, openings pregame, the opening ceremonies. It was interesting how the, the American TV commentators like Sarah Guthrie went out of their way to avoid commenting on, I don't know, again, that the militaristic style and stuff that came from some of the stuff that was there. Um, Jeff, I think all the athletics, the athletes are amazing. Wish I could be that talented. I always watch them. And I know there's some people that feel very strongly about that. Just saying, if you look at these numbers, it's not there. Jeff, I think there's too many changes. The Internet telling results, I think that's leading to no interest. I only watched about one hour yesterday. By the way, I prefer the Summer Olympics. Then a number of people, and again, I'm, I'm sort of at a loss for this because... I have very, very little interest as well. I, I watched just enough of it, so I thought I had a flavor of it so that I could discuss it with you. And, and then I've just been looking at the raw numbers and things that have come out. But I, I do think, again, it's that time change, the fact that a lot of stuff and the results are known well in advance. That that deters people as well. I mean, don't you want to watch stuff live? Um, it's very, very difficult in today's Internet age. Even if you are an avid fan of speed skating or something, it's very, very difficult to not know the results. Now, maybe you're going to say that's not going to impact your interest, but let's face it, it's always better to watch an event live not knowing the result than watch a tape delay 
knowing what's happened. And if you're able to figure out, you know, how to do that without finding out the results, more power to you. But it's definitely very difficult. I don't know if the numbers are going to pick up, but right now, this Olympic Games is shaping up to be a complete and total dud. And it's amazing, too, the U.S., at least as of the last time I checked, um, no, no medals, no medals of any color. And that's... That's at least at this point in time in the Olympics, you know, at least historically, that just doesn't happen. So you look like you've got an Olympics team that, at least from a medal standpoint, is going to be underperforming, and that doesn't help inspire U.S. viewers to want to watch. Don't know where this is all going to go, but at least right now, Olympics not off to a great start. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Okay, number of people are texting in. I made the comment that the, the, the U.S. hadn't won any medals yet. Yes, yesterday they, they won two, and then there was the silver medal and the team figure skating. So they actually have three medals, which ranks them ninth in all the different countries. No gold medals, no bronze medals, three medals, one in women's moguls, one in women's snowboard slope style, and the team event and figure skating. The um, uh, So they're, they're ninth. So which, again, the overall point of the conversation was that there, there haven't been breakout stars. And in some Olympics where the U.S. really dominates, that is not happening. All right. There is a Milwaukee mayoral race that's coming up. The primary, there's seven candidates that are running. That field will be winnowed down to two next Tuesday, a week from tomorrow. Early voting is underway. Um, the candidates are, are kind of all over the map. You have some very, very liberal candidates that are running, the Lena Taylors of the world, the Marina Dmitrievics. You've got some conservative candidates that are running. You've got a couple people who, who nobody has ever heard of. It's very, very difficult to determine you know, who's ahead in these things. I understand a lot of people are very skeptical of, of poll results anyways, um, and th- there really hasn't been that much money spent on it. I, I understand that a group, it, it appears that they're um, backed by Chris Abley, it, who's very much in for acting Mayor Cavalier Johnson. It appears that the, the group um, associated with Chris Abley is, is running TV ads. If you listen to WTMJ, you hear ads uh, that are being done by former Sheriff David Clark for Fighting Bob Donovan. Um, Depending if you listen to other stations, you you might hear some ads. But this hasn't been something where every time you turn on the television, for example, or every time you turn on the radio, you're bombarded by ads. So the the question that people have is, you know, who's ahead? What is going to happen here? Well, there's a new poll that I have in my hands. It's done by Remington Research Group, which is, I would describe them as as a... center-right leaning polling organization. That would be my, my my sense on them. And I do not know who it was that paid for the particular poll results. But th- these are the numbers that I have. Uh, the poll was apparently done um, February 2nd through the 3rd. So, you know, a couple days ago. And they, they polled oh, about 500 673 likely primary election voters. It's also difficult to, 
I think, identify, especially in, in these primaries, and you're talking about a city race, you're not talking about a state race, it's difficult to find you know, who exactly is the likely voter and things like that. But here are here are the numbers for the different candidates. Um, Acting Mayor Cavalier Johnson, according to the poll results, 41% of the people say they are going to vote for him. Uh, Bob Donovan, former alderman from Milwaukee South Side, 24% say they are going to vote for Donovan. So at least in these poll results, the, these are the, the two dominant figures. After that, it drops off pretty significantly. State Senator Delina Taylor polls 10%. Um, Milwaukee County Sheriff Ernell Lucas polls 6%. I, I've seen very, very little evidence of, I'm, of a campaign by Lucas. Um, Marina Dmitrievic. County Board of Supervisors, um, at least formerly of that, now an older one. She pulls in 5%, and then the other couple candidates that have no political background, um, they're both at 1%. Michael Sampson and Aisha Griffin, undecided 12%. So if you look at these poll results, you see that the two leading candidates, if we believe this, are acting mayor Chevy Johnson and former alderman Bob Donovan. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My sense, when, when actually when somebody forwarded me this poll, was I, I think, I tend to think that this sounds about right. Um, I, I think Cavalier Johnson is the clear front runner in this. I haven't seen much by way of campaigns from a number of the other people, and I, I don't doubt that they're going door-to-door -door and things like that, but as far as stuff that's really going to move the needle, I haven't seen it. On top of that, sometimes you argue about, okay, what what's the big issue in a race? Is it going to be jobs? Is it going to be how you're going to fix the Milwaukee city of Milwaukee pension crisis? Is it going to be public transportation? Is it going to be the streetcar? All, all those things are, are valid. Is it going to be COVID? Well, I think in 2022, the dominant issue in the mayor's race is going to be simple. It's going to be crime. I think people have had enough. We talk about it on this program on a regular basis. You, you can't go a day without picking up the newspaper, turning on the radio, turning on the television, and hearing, again, conversations about the out-of-control crime, the, the stolen cars, almost 30 a day, the homicides that are on a pace for darn near 300 homicides in the city of Milwaukee, the robberies, all this type of stuff. And as I frequently argue, it's it's not a chicken and egg thing. If you want to have economic development, people have to be safe. Businesses are not going to invest money in, in places where they're going to get robbed, their employees are going to get robbed, their customers are going to be afraid to patronize the place. You've got to get control of crime. And I think it's very, very clear that uh, Cavalier Johnson is, is, as the acting mayor, has been making crime a priority. You've heard the ads from Bob Donovan. He's making crime a priority. Ernell Lucas has a law enforcement background. He was with MPD, and he's now the sheriff. But you're hearing almost nothing from him. And you know, he's got such ties through to John Chisholm that you wonder, I mean, it's, I, I understand it's tough for him to come out because of his ties to John Chisholm and criticize the DA's office. And if you can't criticize the DA's office, you're really kind of hamstrung when it comes to crime. As far as some of the others, Lena Taylor, Marina Dmitrievic, 
they are not what I would describe as tough on crime type of, of people. And if you're going to talk about the number one issue here, I think Milwaukee wants crime fighters. So I'm not surprised at the results of these polls. And candidly, from a perspective of fighting crime, if the two nominees that come out a week from tomorrow are Cavalier Johnson and Bob Donovan, I think that's going to be encouraging because I think they are both of the different candidates that are out there, I think they're both serious about recognizing that you've got to get crime under control. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Who do you think is going to win the mayoral race, the primary election? Who's going to emerge from this? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, here's the text. Jeff, a month ago or so, you said on your show that you thought this was anyone's race, and you didn't necessarily believe Cavalier Johnson should be seen as the frontrunner. What changed with your opinion other than this poll? That That's true. That, that was a month ago. But now we're a week before the election, and I've had an opportunity to watch this campaign materialize. First of all, I think Cavalier Johnson has been very, he's been in the news. He's been using all the trappings of being the mayor or the acting mayor to advance agendas. I think he's talking about all the right issues. And I think he's appropriately focused on the fact that at least at this point in time in Milwaukee, people are sick as heck over what's going on with crime. And he's talking about the public safety sort of issues, which are issues that people like Lena Taylor and Marina Dmitrievic don't don't really want, want to touch. Plus, um, Johnson has been very, very well-funded. Like I say, there's TV ads that are up. Um, I believe they're being paid for by a group sponsored by Chris Abley, but that, that's all well and good. I'm just telling you, I, I think Johnson has run a very, very good campaign, and I, I believe he is probably the, the front-runner. Second place, well, I think Bob Donovan is out there because, again, Donovan is focusing on the issue that is number one in the minds of a lot of people, which is crime. And Donovan has the background to do that. Um, I think a lot of the other candidates have had mixed messages. I think Ernell Lucas um, has been very, very disappointing. I, I think, you know, a lot of people thought that, okay, when, when he got in, he was going to, you know, really make a, make an impression. But for whatever reason, you, you've seen very, very little evidence, I think, of a, of a campaign from Lucas. Also, even though he's got a strong law enforcement background, you, you got to understand he's he is hamstrung. He was elected with the support of John Chisholm, the embattled district attorney. He got a lot of criticism. You might recall he hired Chisholm's kid, put Chisholm's kid on the payroll for like eighty some thousand dollars, and th- that created a huge amount of controversy. I think it was an embarrassing example of, of patronage. I mean, John Chisholm's kid had no experience in law enforcement, and, and now he he's pulling in a salary kind of equivalent of being a captain on the Milwaukee Sheriff's Department. And so the, the problem with this is it makes it impossible for Arnell Lucas to come out and really rip John Chisholm with regard to some of the really, really bad decisions that have been made in the DA's office, which have contributed to crime. So I, I just, for whatever reasons, I don't think you've seen Lucas exploit what would otherwise be maybe a natural advantage that we would have coming from a law enforcement background. So I, I look at all this. I look at where I believe that the voters in Milwaukee are, and, and I think that the candidates that are talking most pervasively about crime are are, again, it's Lucas and it's Donovan. 
Um, somebody said to me, if you're right, and those are the two that emerge from the primary, who who gets who gets more votes from the remaining people? My guess is it would be Cavalier Johnson because um, he, he presents the opportunity to have Milwaukee to be the, the first elected, you know, minority uh Mayor, and I think that's going to have an appeal. I, I think he's, in general, I think he's relatively well liked. So I, I guess the way this campaign has developed, I think he probably is the leader in the clubhouse. But he doesn't strike me as taking anything for granted. Now I think some of the, I think it might be closer for second than maybe this poll would tend to suggest. Um, whenever you're dealing with some of these entrenched politicians, whether it's Lena Taylor even though she's run for a lot of stuff, or Marina Dmitrievic, they, they've, got, they've got their core constituencies that they're going to go out and they're going to be able to turn out a certain amount of voters. So you know, maybe they can chip away at these numbers and maybe they'll do better than the, the anemic numbers that are suggested in this poll. That, that, I guess, is possible. But I think it's very, very clear that right now you've got two front runners moving into the, the last week. And uh, it'll be interesting to me to see whether or not some of these other candidates who don't seem to be gaining too terrible much traction, whether they're going to come up with issues or something to try to, you know, get them into the top two. It's really been a, a short window for this sort of campaign. But in any event, when I look at these poll numbers, I, I tend to think they're, they are probably accurate at this point in time. And if I were some of the candidates that aren't polling in the top two, I'd be sitting down with my advisor saying, okay, what can we do to move the needle? Because what we've been doing thus far really isn't working. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. If you don't believe me about the, the crime issue, and I, I talk about this a lot, the Milwaukee Police Department maintains a, a reasonably current list of the number of crimes um, that have been committed. And, again, you, you just look at this. Okay, last year, 10,500 cars stolen, which is just a staggering number. This year, they're they're, they're, they're there's more cars stolen this year than there were the same time last year. Same time last year, there were like 920 cars stolen. Now we're, we're essentially at 1,000 cars. There's 28 cars a day that are being stolen just from the streets of Milwaukee. 28 cars a day. And, and you think people aren't fed up with this? Homicides. Last year in Milwaukee, they set an all-time record for the number of murders, 194. This time last year, there were 14 homicides. This time this year, there's 25 homicides. It's up almost 80% from an all-time record. Now, I, I just I keep saying the number of homicides cannot continue to go up at this pace. You, you wouldn't think, but I wouldn't have thought that you could have had more last year than you did the year before it. And now it appears that we're going to have, at this pace, you know, we're on pace for almost 300 homicides in the city of Milwaukee. So if there are candidates that aren't talking concretely about what they want to do with crime, I think they are really, really missing the boat. And the problem a couple of the candidates have is they don't want to lock people they don't want to hold people accountable. And for some people who just simply say, oh, this is a statewide problem where we, we don't have enough money. Well, okay, sometimes it's not all about money. What it's about is trying to hold people accountable. And some of the people who are running for mayor, they just don't want to come out and say that because holding people accountable for committing crimes, putting responsibility where it belongs, simply isn't in their DNA. And those are going to be the candidates that I think underperform a week from tomorrow. When we come back, hey-ho, does he have to go? I'll explain and we'll discuss. Stick around.
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I've been waiting all weekend to discuss this issue with you. Is pork good or bad? I don't mean the type of pork you get at the grocery store. I mean the pork that politicians put in in order to benefit local constituents. Harry Reid, former Democrat majority leader, passed away um, last year. He, he was notorious. If you wanted to get something through the U.S. Senate, there, there had to be something in it for Nevada. And, and that Harry Reid, and there's lots of politicians who are like this, they go out of their way. It might not be in the interest of the U.S. taxpayers, but, okay, if, if you want if you want a dam in Ohio, well, what you have to do is that, that bill that you've got there, there's got to be something in it for, for Nevada. That, that's the deal if you want to get it through. That, that's that kind of pork spending, which brings us to an issue related to that that is playing out in Wisconsin, and it's playing out, again, in the context of the U.S. race for Senate. Everybody knows U.S. Senator Ron Johnson up for re-election this November, and Johnson has a target on his back. He's the number one target for Democrats uh, across the country in trying to take back a seat. And so everything that, that Johnson does gets scrutiny, and everything that he says sometimes gets taken out of context, other times not, in fairness, but there, there's a controversy that's created. So here, here's the story, and I'm curious as to how you come down on this. Oshkosh Truck, of course, based out of Oshkosh, about a year ago, actually like June of last year, it, it, won, a, it won a huge contract, February of last year, so about a year ago, it won a huge contract with the federal government, specifically the U.S. Postal Service, to produce up to 165,000 what they call next-generation delivery vehicles. In in other words, postal trucks that the mail carriers are going to drive. And apparently, the the way this was worded, they they didn't know exactly how many they're going to build, but at least 50,000, maybe up to 165,000. Now, that contract's gotten some criticism lately because the majority of those are not going to be electric vehicles because electric vehicles cost a lot more. And some people in the Biden administration are complaining. They're saying, well, we we need to have more electric vehicles, et cetera. That's kind of a a separate issue. But this is a big deal. It, It has the potential to be up to six billion dollars for wisconsin-based oshkosh truck well in order to fill these needs oshkosh truck needs to expand they need to hire more people they need to build more facilities so what oshkosh truck announced they were going to do in june of last year is instead of do the vehicle production in Oshkosh, where their headquarters are, they said, well, what we'll do is we're going to hire about 100 employees in engineering and program support that we're going to base them in Oshkosh. But everybody else, another 1,000 employees or so, we are going to, we're going to build another plant in South Carolina. And we're going to hire people down in South Carolina, Spartanburg, South Carolina, and we're going to build the, the plant to build these these vehicles. 
Now, you might say, okay, why, why Spartanburg, South Carolina? Well, Oshkosh Truck won't say it, but labor costs are less because the anticipation and the, and the idea is they anticipate that when they, they start producing these things in Spartanburg, South Carolina, they're going to, it's going to be a non-union shop. So they're going to save money. They're not going to be paying the employees as much. So they're doing it in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Well, as you might expect, a lot of the unions upset with this. A lot of other people in Wisconsin upset with this. They're saying, wait a second, this is Oshkosh Truck. You know, you get this big contract from the federal government. You should be building these things in Wisconsin, giving Wisconsinite jobs. And Tammy Baldwin, the Democrat senator from Wisconsin, she's joined together and she's been sending, you know, letters saying, hey, you know, here, you know, we, we want to understand what it is. Why are you doing this in South Carolina? And again, it's, it's union costs, not that Oshkosh Truck will necessarily say that. But they're, they're unhappy that these jobs aren't going to be in Wisconsin. So over the weekend, um, Johnson is, is up talking to a group. And apparently, you know, one of the reporters corners him afterwards and says, all right, Senator, these this is Oshkosh. I mean, that that's you're from that that area. Are you going to do something to pressure Oshkosh Truck, pressure the post office, pressure you know whatever pressure you can bring on the government to get those jobs or at least a higher percentage of those jobs back in Wisconsin instead of going to Spartanburg, South Carolina? And Johnson's response, as quoted in the Journal Sentinel, is, it's not like we don't have enough jobs here in Wisconsin. The biggest problem we have in Wisconsin right now is employers not being able to find enough workers. I wouldn't insert myself to demand that anything be manufactured here using federal funds in Wisconsin. Obviously, I'm supportive of it, but in the end, I think when using federal tax dollars, you want to spend those in the most efficient way. And if it's more efficient, more effective to spend those in other states, I don't have a real problem with it. Okay, this is what I want to talk to you about. Johnson says, look, yes, yes, I'm a senator from Wisconsin, but, you know, this it's a federal contract. I'm glad it went to Oshkosh Truck. But if we can get a bigger bang for the taxpayers' bucks by having Oshkosh Truck do it in South Carolina, that is in the overall interest of the taxpayers, and I'm not going to get involved. The flip side is, wait, you're the senator from Wisconsin. Even if it's more expensive, this would be the argument, you should be doing everything you can to, to bring, even if it costs the federal taxpayers more, you should be doing everything you can to make sure those jobs are in Wisconsin. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this is a really interesting issue. And you can argue both sides of it. Where, where do you come down on this? If it's more, obviously you'd love to have a 1,000 jobs, new jobs in Wisconsin. Uh, where, where you get the labor is a whole different story. But, you know... It, it would be great to have a 1,000 more jobs and to have all these vehicles built here. At the same time, we're all federal taxpayers. I was just spent the weekend you know, putting together the information to send over to the accountant for my tax returns and stuff like that. We're all federal taxpayers. So if you can get more bang for your buck by having those jobs done in, in South Carolina than Wisconsin – Right? Should we object? 855-616-1620. Or should the, just the goal be, look, you represent Wisconsin. 
This is a big contract going to a Wisconsin company. It is an outrage. This would be the argument that that Wisconsin company is now going to turn and outsource the jobs down to South Carolina. 855-616-1620. Where do you stand on this? We'll discuss, and I'll give you my opinion as well. Stick around. 855-616-1620. Back in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I just find this to be an interesting situation. If you're just tuning in, um, Ron Johnson, Republican senator from Wisconsin, big, big contract, $6 billion to build like 165,000 postal vehicles, the, the next generation, goes to Oshkosh Truck. Everybody was hoping that those vehicles would be built in Wisconsin. It would be about a 1,000 new jobs, high, well-paying jobs. Oshkosh Truck says, no, we're, we're moving them down. We're going to go to Spartanburg, South Carolina, presumably because they're going to be non-union jobs. We're going to hire people down there that they're going to presumably pay less money. So what ends up happening is, all right, they, they can do it a little more cheaply. Ron Johnson says over the weekend that he doesn't see getting involved, that there's the problem. We've got enough jobs here in Wisconsin, and he doesn't want to interfere. And he says, look, I'm trying to look out for the federal taxpayers. If it makes more sense and you can get more bang for your buck to do this in South Carolina as opposed to Wisconsin, that's where we should do it. 855-616-1620. Now, that's not the way a lot of U.S. senators operate. Hey, you, you want this contract? Um, in order to have my support, those jobs had better be in my state. All right, 855-616-1620. Jeff, Ron Johnson is elected by the citizens of Wisconsin. It is his duty to represent those constituents who elected him and to act in their best interest. Okay, well, the argument would be if, I mean, because those constituents are all federal taxpayers. So where where is the balancing act? I'd love to see those jobs in, as a federal taxpayer who is also a Wisconsin resident. I'd love to see those jobs in the Fox Valley. That That certainly helps the state. But the flip side is, all right, if it makes more economic sense to do it in South Carolina, doesn't that also benefit federal taxpayers, even those who live in Wisconsin? 855-616-1620. Let's start with um, John in Appleton. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you doing today? I'm well. What do you think about this? Well, uh, I think that uh, the people of Wisconsin elected Ron Johnson to represent Wisconsinites in Washington. I think the job should stay here. Uh, if if his goal is to get more bang for his buck, then we can probably get him built cheaper in Mexico. Is there should right? We get, I, we I, I, in Mexico then? Well, I see. It. That, I guess that's the that's the question. Matter of fact, a couple of our texters were raising that. Is this different than sending the jobs? Overseas, because you are keeping them in the United States, or do you think it's that you think it's really comparable to sending the jobs overseas? Exactly. I mean, he he should be he's elected by Wisconsinites. He should be representing Wisconsin. And uh, if if they couldn't be made in in Wisconsin or South Carolina, you'd have to take them overseas. If his whole if his whole theory is get more bang for your buck, get the best deal then you should get the best deal. And then, and then then he would have to come out and say, let's send them overseas and get made. Okay, thanks and for the call. I, I, pre- I don't think he's no. losing that. No, I don't think he does either. And I guess, see, that. I mean, thanks for the call. I mean, I guess that's the question. Is this, it, it I, I think if we were talking about outsourcing the job, since it's a government 
It's a government deal. If we were talking about outsourcing the jobs, I guess I see that a little bit different, outsourcing the jobs by sending them overseas. But you are keeping them in the United States. So I guess the, the fundamental question you have to wrestle with is, are you not representing the people of Wisconsin's interest if you're saving federal taxpayers' money, understanding that Wisconsinites are federal taxpayers as well? And, and how do you do that balancing? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, I, I, to me, he should try to get to keep the jobs here because – once Oshkosh expands down there, why would they ever put another dollar into uh, Wisconsin for expansion? I mean, this is the kind of trickle-down stuff where, you know, we give tax breaks to the rich so they'll invest in the economy or put money into jobs here. But, I mean, in the end, they always go for the cheaper solution. And he's our senator. I mean, for him to say he's going to save the taxpayers' money is kind of like – it's kind of like a bad argument because they've already agreed, Oshkosh, to make the deal at this amount of money. And for them now to change where they can make more profit or, you know, I think this is wrong. I think Johnson should stand up for our state. You know, whether we win or not is another deal. But, I mean, that's what he's been elected for. If it were... And I understand what you're saying about, like, the fixed costs. This is what they, they bid on the contract. And I don't know enough about the provisions to know if there's, if they're, you know, how much discretion they have. Let's talk about this in the abstract. Assuming it, for the sake of argument, it would cost the taxpayers less to send it down to South Carolina than keeping it in Wisconsin, just for the sake of argument. You know, how do you do that, that balancing? If there were a taxpayer advantage, would it, would it be worth it, or still should those jobs be in Wisconsin regardless? They should be in Wisconsin because then those jobs would create money, and that money would create more jobs and help the economy up here and more taxes. I, I guess, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's an argument that, you know, the, the good of the um, – yeah, uh, the, 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 the benefit of the many, of the many outweighs two. the. Yeah, right. That's we're back to Star Trek. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, to me, you know, this is a thing where he should represent us because those jobs in that area, I mean, would be good jobs in that area, and that would mm-hmm. help that development. And so I, I think that's his his job here for him to to side with anti union or anti-labor um you know well, i don't know it, if it's, it's that it's it's just might just another... be cheaper yeah yeah i don't i don't know that it's anti-union per se other than oshkosh truck is is making that decision that they can save money by sending it down there okay thanks for call. i appreciate it bob and that, that that's why i find this to be an interesting topic i actually if if i were senator johnson I would not have taken this approach. And to be perfectly honest with you, when these, when this, when this came out, if I was the senator, a senator, Republican or Democrat, from Wisconsin, and assuming that I had worked behind the scenes, which I have no doubt that both Tammy Baldwin and Ron Johnson did, to try to, you know, bring this to to the Wisconsin, if I found out that they were planning to ship the vast majority of these jobs down to South Carolina, I would have been mad as you know what, and I would have 
I would have whisk, been whistling in the the representatives from Oshkosh Truck, saying, "Look, what what's what's in it for the state?" And the, the idea that you're going to ship the vast majority, they say they're going to keep 100 jobs here and, and ship the rest of them down there. Uh, th- this is one where I think early on we, we should have understood what happened. And I don't know if Oshkosh Truck has betrayed Johnson, betrayed Baldwin or whatever, but I, I do think that this is a valid issue. Now, look, I appreciate the value of pork, and, and I do I, – I always – I'm one of these guys that always used to rip on people like Harry Reid – who always had to wet their beaks. You know, you couldn't get stuff done unless there was something for their particular state in it. But, you know, at some point in time, I do think this is one where, you know, to simply say, well, we've, we've got enough jobs here, to me kind of misses the point because these jobs that they're going to, that the federal taxpayers are going to pay for building these automobiles, for building the, the trucks and stuff for the post service, these are good jobs. These are the type of jobs that you want to have in your community, that you want to have in your state. And I think just simply saying, well, there's enough work out here for people doesn't really answer the question because these are the type of jobs that, you know, I would assume are going to be sought after by people. And I think what Oshkosh Truck did is a betrayal of the people of Wisconsin. And I I think if I were Ron Johnson, I would be making a much bigger deal of this. If I were Tammy Baldwin, I would be making a much bigger deal of this as well because I don't know. I don't know. Some of these trucks, you would think, should be built in Wisconsin. If they want to build some in South Carolina, that's fine. But to send most of the production down there, I think, is just flat out wrong. And I do, to the point that a couple of our callers are making, and that was one of the questions I had, too, uh, is, is it really for the benefit of the taxpayers or is it more money in the pockets of Oshkosh Truck? And I'm a capitalist. I, I don't mind companies making money, but if it's a company that's in Wisconsin that does that and you're getting a federal contract to do it, well, okay, maybe the U.S. senators from the state, both Baldwin and Johnson, should be more aggressive in making sure that some of that stuff stays here. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Which candidate is a bigger obstacle to your reelection, Rebecca Clayfish or Kevin Nicholson? Wisconsin's afternoon news. We're going to do that, to be honest with you. We're going to run on our records on. We've got significant things we accomplished in the states over this last three years. Day afternoons from 3 to 6 on WTMJ. This week's Fall in Love with Your Home expert is Kohler Services Wisconsin. My guest today is General Manager Doug Bocchini, who has been with Kohler for 31 years. Doug, thanks so much for joining us today. Kohler Services is relatively new, but it's making a big mark in the market. Tell me a little bit about it. Well, Kohler Services, it's a completely personalized shower, walk, and bath design and remodel service. We offer exclusive bathroom remodeling services, including Kohler Luxstone showers and Kohler walk-in baths. Some of our key features include a three-inch step in height, easy-to-grip handrails, luxurious heated backrest, a hydrotherapy experience, which includes both Whirlpool and bubble massage. In summary, Kohler Services helps you from inspiration to installation on both showers and walk-in baths. Doug, i got to tell you, I'm sold. You talk inspiration to installation. What does that mean exactly? Our starting point is inspiration by visiting KohlerServicesWI.com to discover the beautiful Luxstone collection and walk-in baths. Next comes consultation. Let our design consultants come into your home 
to help you select all the products you need for your dream design. On installation day, a team of Kohler experts arrive in a special truck equipped to do all the craftsmanship inside the vehicle, completed in as little as a day. And once installation is complete, you get to enjoy the confidence of a lifetime limited warranty that is backed by Kohler Company. I heard Kohler Services is going to be at the Nary Show. Yes, Jeff. We'd love to have all our listeners visit the Kohler Services booth. Be among the first 50 people to mention your name, Jeff, and you will receive a free gift from Kohler. In the month of February, we're offering free Kohler Luxstone accessories up to $1,000 value. If you contact us right away, you can take advantage of the great deal. What's the best way to learn more about Kohler Services Wisconsin? Visit us at KohlerServicesWI.com and schedule your free in-home consultation today. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. In 2022, we'll have in store. Join WTMJ on Thursday, February 17th for a day-long broadcast on the topics that impact your everyday life. Politics, the economy, health, and more big issues from big names on the biggest stick in the state. It's WTMJ 2022 taking place next Thursday, February 17th from 9 a.m. till 6 p.m. Presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by the Bartolotta Restaurants. Find out more information at WTMJ.com. Actually, I enjoyed that conversation we just had in the last segment because it's one of those Sort of to me, it's an interesting issue that you can argue either side on. I was um, this was one of these sort of weird experiences over the weekend. I'm with my wife in a grocery store checkout line, and the the cashier, the the checker, my, my wife had talked to her before, and somehow they they got to talking. This is my wife, Fran, who talks to all sorts of people and makes all these friends, and they had identified and. She said, well, she said, well, I'm married to Jeff Wagner. How that got into the conversation, who knows? So I'm back there with her as we're going through the checkout line with our Diet Coke and whatever yesterday afternoon. And so the, the lady says, oh, it's so nice to meet you, et cetera. And then there's a, a gal that's like bagging the groceries. And she says, what's going on here? And said, oh, he, he's a celebrity. And I said, no, I'm, I'm a mini celebrity, real, real mini celebrity. And and so the, the lady who's bagging the groceries says, well, you know, what what, what do you talk about on, on your program? And I said, well, I talk about all sorts of things it's current events and she said well, well what 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 is it and i said well it's it's a sensible conversation for sane people i, I guess that's that over the over the years there, there's just so much craziness that's out there and, and i try to have a sensible sensible conversation for sane people and, and and i understand that sometimes there's people on different sides of the political aisle that are just rabid one way or the other and don't like what they hear on the show and that, that's okay but uh, this is i, I think you know, we want to have sensible conversations, and we want to understand that there's, you know, better and worse ways to approach things, and a sensible conversation for a sane, for sane people. And some, she said, oh, that sounds interesting. And I said, well, just, just tune in. It's Monday through Friday, noon to three. All right. We all know what happened in Kenosha in August of 2020. You had... Can I use the word riot? Yes, this is a sensible conversation for sane people. It was a riot that lasted for multiple days. You know, it led to the instances of the shooting involving Kyle Rittenhouse and stuff like that. But the thing that precipitated Rittenhouse's involvement was the fact that you had law enforcement who was undermanned and who lost control of the streets of Kenosha for the first couple days. You had, you know, the wildings. You had the burnings. You had all that stuff that was there. The Kenosha District Attorney, in contrast 
to the district attorney in Dane County and to a lesser extent in Milwaukee County recognizes you know what happened and has been doing I think a lot to try to hold the rioters accountable so what happened in the last couple days is the Kenosha district attorney's office can you imagine this is a rhetorical question can you imagine John Chisholm doing this the Kenosha district attorney has gone public you know with photographs here's what they've done they have gone to the internet and they have made more than 80 surveillance images posted on a newly created website. And, and these are photos of people who are involved in the looting, the rioting, the property destruction, etc. So they're, they're people, they got their pictures up there, but for whatever reasons, they don't know who they are. They haven't been able to identify them. So more than 80 surveillance images have been posted on a newly created website. And the DA is saying, help us. We, we want to figure out, we are asking for your help to see if you can identify the people in these photographs. You know, up until now, apparently it's, it's been in law enforcement's hands. You know, law enforcement's tried to track down. Nearly 18 months after the incident, the DA says, well, look, here's the deal. Um, you know, we, we want to hold the people who were involved in these riots accountable. If you're coming out of a store and you're looting and you're carrying TV sets or whatever you might be carrying, you know, we, we don't want you to get away with it. And just because we in law enforcement haven't been able to identify you yet, that, that doesn't matter. So what they're saying is, you know, we're going to put this stuff out there in the public and we, we hope we can convince a lot of people to look at the photos and maybe they can tell us who that is that, that's involved. The DA says also what we're trying to do is we're trying to target people from outside the Kenosha area because we know that there were a lot of people who came into Kenosha who were participating in the looting, the rioting, etc. And we're thinking that you know by expanding the reach, you know maybe there'll be people in Illinois that see this stuff. Maybe there'll be people in the Fox Valley that see this stuff. In any event, you know we're we're trying to broaden this, show the pictures of the people that were involved, and hopefully somebody will call up and say, hey, I recognize that guy. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The DA says that anybody arrested for looting would face a charge of felony burglary. They say that 56 people have already been charged. And by the way, again, can you imagine John Chisholm doing something like this? The answer would be no. He said 56 people have already been charged, but they think there's about 100 other people that they would have evidence to bring felony charges against if they're able to identify them. So 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a waste of time, spirit, effort on the part of the DA's office, or is this perhaps even long overdue, and should this be standard procedure when you have these civil disturbances? Hey, you know, we've got pictures of people who are looting, burning, doing whatever, we can't identify them. We want to identify them. I, say, I give kudos to the DA's office for doing this. If I were to criticize, I would have said maybe they should have done this a year ago, but, but better late than never. 855-616-1620. I applaud the DA's office. Look, I, I don't know if they're going to get any hits on this, but even if there's about 100 people that they think were involved in criminal activity that they can't identify, even if, even if they get 10 or 15 or 20%, 
I think that would be worth it. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You you would not expect this to come from Milwaukee County District Attorney John Chisholm, and it's not coming from Milwaukee County District Attorney John Chisholm. The District Attorney in Kenosha County is frustrated. His name is Michael Gravely. I think he's frustrated that there are a number of people. They think as many as a hundred people who were involved in the riots in August of 2020, the the looting, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, who are have so far not been charged, not because the DA's office isn't committed to wanting to go after them, but they're com- because they don't know who these people are. They haven't been able to identify them. So what the DA's office has done is they have created a website and they've posted like 80 images of people who are involved in committing crimes on there. And what they're saying to the general public is, take a look through this. And if you recognize somebody who's... I don't know, on, on this, that somebody who's coming out of the liquor store with whatever or coming out of the whatever. You know, if you see somebody and you say, hey, that's that's that guy down the street, reach out and contact us and let us know, and, and we'll we'll take it from there. We'll, we'll do the investigation, and obviously there, there's going to be mistaken identities and things like that. The DA's office can't just assume that because somebody says, hey, that's Jeff that's on that picture there, that it's really Jeff. You know, they have to do the investigation, but at least it gives them a tip and a place to start. I think this is an absolutely tremendous idea, and if I were going to have any criticism of it, it would be that they've waited 18 months to do it. I would love to see this become a standard practice, not unlike you, you see a lot of times when there's a, a crime, an individual crime that's committed, you know, you turn on the TV set at night and they'll have a picture of the guy who's, I don't know, sticking the gun in the face of the convenience store clerk, and they'll say, if anybody has any information about who this person is, please come forward, 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, um, as a Kenosha residence, resident, I think any effort to punish those who are responsible for an estimated $50 million in damage to the city is a wonderful thing. I'm proud that over 50 have already been charged, and I feel hopeful that maybe another 50 could be charged. I think this type of intervention could hopefully deter people in the future from rioting and looting. Well, I don't know about the future deterrent, but if it holds another 50 people who think they got away with criminal behavior accountable, that's great. Jeff, finally, somebody's going to stand up to these folks that have been perfectly willing to commit these crimes because they have no fear of being charged. It's long overdue. I agree it should be standard procedure, and I certainly hope that the DA does not back down to any pressure that I foresee coming. These crimes, these types of crimes, will not end if we don't take back our justice system. Jeff, I think it's a great idea, and every time somebody gets caught, it should be publicized, and down the road, even if it's a couple years, he could continue to do it so people will know that we're coming after them. Jeff, two words. It's genius. Um, yeah. Joshua says, I'm surprised they didn't do this a year ago. It's no different from when they show surveillance video on the news and ask for help identifying people. It's just done on a larger scale. Jeff, long overdue. Good for the Kenosha DA and publicly posting these photos and asking for help and getting these perpetrators identified and charged. Yeah, that's 
that that's the key sort of thing that, that's out there. Bring the community in, get the community involved. Now, one of the reasons why you wouldn't see something like this happen in Dane County or you wouldn't happen to see something like this happen in Milwaukee County is because presumably if people would call in and they provide the information, there'd be an expectation that there'd be some follow-up. And I'm not sure that the Milwaukee DA or the Dane County DA really wants to do too much follow-up in this area, which would result in people maybe getting arrested and charged. Charged, But from my perspective, I think what they're doing is absolutely tremendous, and I hope it becomes standard procedure across the way. And if people get an opportunity to check this out, matter of fact, I'll send out a tweet with a link to the, the website. If you get a chance to, to check it out, uh, I, look, I don't know if anybody's going to respond, but it seems to me it's a low-cost effort to try to bring more people in. And if you catch, even like I say, if, only, if you only catch 10 or 15% of the people, it's 10 or 15% of people who committed felonies who would not otherwise be held accountable. Good for the Kenosha DA. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. Hey, th- this story out of Brown Deer... What, yesterday, it's uh, Saturday, that is, the, the shooting. There are, every once in a while, even in tragedies, you get stories of ordinary people who do extraordinary things. All right, so this is the way uh, Fox 6 reports it. All right, um, three people died in a domestic dispute at a Brown Deer apartment complex that's all just a little bit south of 60th and Brown Deer on Saturday. Um Ariana Reed, 23, and Michael Edward Anderson were listed as homicides, and the shooter, Larvell Huddleston, 26, died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. A fourth person, Eric Lewis, was injured after being shot in the leg near his ankle. Now, here, here's the story. Brown Deer police head to Park Plaza Apartments. That's a little bit south of um, Brown Deer Road on 60th Street. When I was in law school, we lived off of 60th and uh, Good Hope, so I kind of know the area. Brown Deer police rushed to the Park Plaza Apartments for an active shooter Saturday morning. Lewis, this is the guy who was shot, said he heard, who survived, said he heard a handful of gunshots fired above his first floor apartment. Well, can you imagine that? You wake up and there, there's, what's that noise coming from upstairs? Oh, it's gunshots. Um, after hearing more shots, he looked outside his window. Um, Reed, that's the 23-year-old woman, Reed had been shot and wounded as Anderson, that's Michael Anderson, the 31-year-old guy who was killed, as Anderson and another woman tried helping her into a car, Lewis said the shooter came outside firing at all three through parked cars. Lewis said the man was shot in his stomach. He recalled seeing the injured woman crawling back towards the apartment. Then Lewis said the shooter reloaded, walked up to the woman and emptied his clip at point-blank range. While officers arrived and were fired upon, Lewis said he ran to check on the injured man. As he made contact, he said the shooter fired at him from the balcony, hitting his right leg above the ankle. Anderson, the man Lewis was trying to help, died on the scene. Okay, so here you have a situation where you're in the middle of this active shooting situation. You've watched this psychopath who's essentially executed the woman, firing at all sorts of different people, and it's coming from you know the apartment above you. You see that there's a guy who's who's injured and what you do is you run out and you try to help him you know while the shooter is reloading now that's i I gotta tell you something that strikes me as being 
an extraordinary act of, of valor. Now, in this case, it, it turned out to be unsuccessful because the guy that the person who was shot was trying to help ended up dying, but he was trying to do it. Forty-five minutes later, Lewis said he heard a single muffled shot upstairs, believing the shooter turned the gun on himself. Police say this all happened while a child was in the apartment. During the ordeal, a Brown Deer Police Department canine squad was struck, but the canine and the officers were not hit. So you have, again, all this carnage that breaks out in this Brown Deer neighborhood, but and, and it's a tragedy no matter how you, you slice it. And, you know, I don't know yet what the motivation behind this was, although they say it's domestic dispute. But I, to me, the, the staggering part of this story is, again, you have – one of these people who decided, I've seen this guy, he's going to be shot, I'm going to run out and I'm going to try to help him. Now, he ends up getting shot himself, but to me, that, that's, that's an act of extraordinary courage by an otherwise ordinary guy, and I think he deserves credit for that. All right, lots of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Now, I do not want to be labeled anti-technology, and I understand the world moves on and moves at quick paces. But this, in my opinion, was a staggeringly stupid idea. And it is good that just within the last hour or two, the IRS backed off on this. If you haven't been following the story, last year the IRS announced that in what they wanted every American who wants to access their tax records online to do. So let me let, let's let's back up here. Um, let's say. I don't know if you fill out the, your tax return and you send in the old paper thing or you, you electronically file. I think a lot of people electronically file. I know that's, again, I was talking earlier about how I, I use an accountant now because it's just much, much simpler. And, you know, I always get the certification saying, okay, will, will you give us permission to, to file electronically as opposed to putting all the stuff in the envelope and dropping the envelope in the, electronic, in the mail. And, yeah, so we, so we, we e-file. That, that is how we do it. Um, maybe maybe you need to interact with the IRS because you want to see a copy of tax return or you want to find out information about estimated tax payments or maybe you're one of those people who have to make estimated tax payments and instead of writing out a check and sending it to the IRS what you do is you pay it directly to the IRS out of your bank account people do that but in any event, the IRS announced about a year ago that anybody who interacted with them electronically in order to access your account to find out these things, what you would have to do is record a selfie of yourself and then submit to facial recognition for every time you wanted to access this. So in other words, it would have to be facial recognition. Maybe maybe you have that on your Apple phone or something. You know, unlock it, look at your face and that sort of stuff. The IRS said, look, what we're trying to do is we're trying to cut down on fraud. And we know that fraud's a huge issue, especially if people get access to your Social Security accounts. We've you know, heard stories about people will file false tax claims trying to get whatever refunds you have. So what the IRS did is they had hired a, a private company, IDME, ID me, to handle the facial verification system. 
And so what you would have to do is like take the, the selfie of yourself and then send it off to the IRS where the IRS would store it. Um, it would be kept for at least seven years due to IRS auditing requirements. There's no federal law in place right now that regulated how this information could be used at, at all. So even though they say that there's no intention to sell this stuff to people, there's nothing that would limit this. So um, you, you've got the, the facial recognition thing. And this would be the only way that you could get access to, again, doing this sort of stuff electronically. Well, this has been the plan for the better part of, of a year. Now, you've got tax filing season that, that's coming up. You've got the IRS that is encouraging people, of course, to you know file electronically because it's easier. And you have a lot of people, interestingly, on both sides of the aisle, my opinion, sane people, who have been raising all sorts of questions saying, do we really want to do this? And, and what, about, what about people who don't have access to the most up-to-date computer technology? Okay, you're going to have them take the selfies and send the, the stuff in. What could possibly go wrong with that? What about older people who maybe not, might not be the most technologically proficient? No offense. You know, what about that? Well, the interesting news is today the Treasury Department just this morning announced, uh, well, you know what we said last year and what we've been working on for the last year? Well, well, never mind. They were going to roll out the program this summer for all IRS services, including online payments, accessing tax credits. They have just decided today that, you know what, um, never mind. We're, we're going to at least put that plan on hold. We're going to drop the facial recognition verification service. Um, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Now, look, I, I appreciate we, we have to move into the 21st century, and more and more stuff is being done electronically. And, and I do, you know, appreciate that, you know, that you some of the cell phones give you the option of using facial ID to unlock your your cell phone but of course that that's that's an option you have you, you don't have to use that 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 ID that technology um, 855-616-1620 that's the Acunet mortgage talk and text line how do you feel about this idea that in order to access your tax records you have to have an electronic photograph on on hand which would then be matched when you try to get access to your tax returns 855-616-1620 i think this is a staggeringly bad idea that would create a lot more problems than it would solve but what do you think any objection to having to send the irs your picture and then having your picture matched with um, whatever with Presumably, when you take a selfie of yourself, when you go to access your tax records, 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. If you're just tuning in, last year, our friends at the Internal Revenue Service announced this new program. They hired this this outfit. It's called ID.me. And if you wanted to access your tax returns electronically what you would have so let, I mean, let, let's say you wanted to 
I, I don't know. You, you wanted to deal with, uh, the, find out how much you made, nest, what, what their record showed you made in estimated payments or the child care credit or all that sort of stuff. You would have to take a selfie of yourself. And then you would have to submit it to this outfit, this ID me. And then before you could interact with the IRS, you would have to, again, have verification when presumably when you went to the IRS website to try to access whatever information you're trying to access, you know, they'd have to match your photo with what they had on, on file. And then and only then could you get access to that information. Well, there's all sorts of problems with this. And actually, just this morning, the IRS facing heat from both the left and the right decided maybe this isn't such a good idea and they ended up killing the idea I, I think that that's absolutely the right thing to do what could possibly go wrong with this Jeff I had to upload a selfie to the IRS with ID me in order to stop them from sending me the advanced child care credit it was an extremely difficult and time-consuming um, process. Um, yeah, I mean, th- that's it. Jeff, do you have any idea how many people file on somebody else, somebody else's um, behalf? Well, yeah, I-, I think there's this. Wouldn't that prevent ID theft? Well, I don't know that it would necessarily prevent ID theft. That was the justification for it. It would make it more difficult to steal somebody's identification. But the flip side is what problems would this end up creating if you ended up um, doing this? Um, Jeff, um, I'm all right with the idea, but the IRS would need a new photo every few years. Our our faces do change as we age. Um, Jeff, I think this is an idea whose time has not yet come. Yes, that's channeling the author Victor Hugo, but I agree with it completely. Jeff, to the people that completely trust and run their lives with technology, I say go with God. For every organization or business that uses technology for the benefit of users, there are a hundred people trying to figure out how to break into it and steal your information. This scares me, and I don't know why society is so uh, accepting of these risks. Well, that was one of the big concerns that was out there because I mean, look, I, I understand that you, you've already got the hacking that goes on when they hack credit card accounts and things like that, but that was one of the big issues. You know, now you've got this giant database, you know, that's maintained for the IRS, but, but not by the IRS. What happens if this gets hacked into to the extent there's any sort of privacy out there, it, it would be gone. Jeff, it's hard enough for people my age, and I'm in the 60s, to navigate the computer as is. This idea just makes it that much harder. Jeff, I think the idea sucks. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Jeff, I say no to the photo ID with the IRS. Jeff, I think it's an awful idea. I've been trying to contact the IRS for the last five months because I've not received my tax refund from 2020 yet, and I'm afraid there's fraud going on. I haven't been able to reach a human being to discuss this or see what my options are. I think the point is... Can you imagine if I had to do this this extra step? You know, it, it's it's. I don't think I've told this story on the radio before, but it is sort of interesting. I maybe I'm the unique person who hasn't had bad interactions with the the IRS. Matter of fact, I actually found them to be relatively responsive after my late wife, my first wife, passed away. Um, I. I was in the process of selling our house. The ne- it was the next year. I was selling our house, and I was buying the house I, I live in now. And I had to, I, I had to submit. I, so I submit the, my tax returns, but they verify them. So, like the underwriter for the mortgage company, because I was getting a bridge loan to 
while, while I was trying to do these transitions because I was going to own my house in Whitefish Bay and the new house that I was buying. So I, I the the underwriter for the mortgage broker needed tax transcripts, you know, which just it's the bo- the transcripts are just like the bottom line numbers, and they use it to verify that the tax returns that people have submitted are in fact valid, you know, as opposed to just taking your word for it. So okay, I was fine with that, but because my because Sue had passed away, um, and we had filed, of course, joint tax returns. So I, I you know, I, I they they request the tax transcripts from a couple years back, and the IRS had put a hold on them because they, they had records that she had passed away. So th- their fear is that somebody, you know, is trying to access a deceased person's you know, bank accounts or social security information or, or whatever. But anyway, so I get this letter saying, um, you know, you got to call us because there's a problem. You know, we put a hold on, on this. And it was the issue was because, again, it was a joint return that, that you needed the information. But I, I will tell you, I mean, I remember contacting the IRS, and they were incredibly responsive. I mean, I, I got a guy... I got a guy in the first couple rings, and I explained the problem, and, and they immediately understood what the problem was. Oh, yeah, it's a, this is because it's not because there's fraud. It's because there's, there's a hold on your account because it was this joint tax return. But in the matter of, like, 10 minutes, they resolved it. They, they got the thing lifted, and they sent the records on, and it was all off. So I was I was very, very pleased with the response there. I just the, – the idea of having this other level, and I was trying to think back as to – the verification procedures they had, I think they had sent me a letter, so there was identifying information on that, and they told me the number to call and stuff. But, I, I mean, I was I was impressed with, number one, the security they had, and number two, the responsiveness. Now, I understand everybody hates the IRS, and that wasn't necessarily the experience everybody's had, but I, I guess I just look at this idea of we're going to now impose this new requirement on people, and I guess I, I don't think we're ready for this yet. Just like electric cars for everybody, I don't think we're ready for this yet, and, and particularly for people who aren't as internet savvy, or, and I don't mean to generalize now, but I mean people who don't have access, the availability of internet access that some people have and stuff like that, I think this could really be a, a hardship. So I think the IRS and the Treasury Department was correct in, in bailing on this. Maybe 10 years from now, it'll be an idea whose time has come, but not now. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.